Good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you. I'm Melissa and I serve at our Tri-Village campus. And I'm Kelly. I serve in women's ministry and maturing adults events here on the West Chicago campus. Hi, Kelly. Hi. Can you even believe it's November? No. No, I can't. And uh, my kids didn't get the memo either this morning. They failed to sleep in for daylight savings. Oh, I'm so sorry. When they get older, they will definitely get the memo. We'll see. <laughs> so here we are, and November is gonna be fun and wonderful, but I'm looking forward to something in December. I wanna let you know after we took a year off of the women's Christmas event, a night before Christmas, I'm excited to say that it is back this year. If you've never attended this event, it's a special time set aside for us to bring friends, family, and neighbors to an evening where we enter into the Christmas season in a very special and meaningful way. Our guest speaker, Aubrey Sampson, is gonna be back, and I think she's perfect for this year. She has such an insight into hard and difficult things of life, but she brings her wit and her humor in a way that blends together, and it's gonna be so special for this year. 
in light of things that are going on in our world, we've had to make some changes. One is that the evening is gonna start off at seven o'clock with the Christmas program in the sanctuary. No dessert buffet tables mm. that hundreds of women <laughs> have been touching or past plates, but after the program, you're gonna be able to have a special holiday individually boxed treat and enjoy the time afterwards with the people that you're, you're with or around. This year we have a special reduced ticket rate of $15 and we are limiting the number of tickets that we sell to 60% of the room's capacity. One of the things that we love about A Night Before Christmas is the ability to participate in our church's Christmas gift drive. Yes, which if you are here in person today, then you probably already saw we have our big collection boxes already set out on your way into the surface. Uh, the Christmas Store is a ministry that every year we offer parents in our community the opportunity to stretch their hard-earned dollars to purchase affordable gifts for their children. So every December, families from around each of our campuses are invited to one of our Christmas stores. And in order to be prepared for this store, we as a church collect toys and gifts from now until Sunday, December 5th. So to join this year, you place your new unwrapped gift in one of the collection boxes located around each of our campuses. And for those of you who prefer to shop online, which is me, <laughs> you can also purchase gifts from the Christmas store's online wish list, and they'll be shipped directly to the Christmas store. So just search gift drive on our website to find our Christmas store page where you can learn more about the Christmas store and buy gifts directly from the wish list. Well, I love the opportunity to be involved in what's going on in our community and the Christmas season. It's such a beautiful thing. Yes, this is also such a good way to get the whole family involved. My kids like to pick out gifts and have a tangible giving opportunity through the church. Yeah, and last week, speaking of kids, our junior high and high school students were able to get away for a fall retreat in Baraboo, Wisconsin. Yes, shout out to Eric Solomon, TBC campus pastor, who was the camp speaker, right? Yeah, it was great the students had a blast. They had a blast on the high ropes and canoeing, spending time in God's creation. But really more importantly, they were learning that we're all designed for relationships. Relationships with God, relationships with one another. But as we know, building relationships isn't something that only happens at camp. God's doing really cool things through the lives of our students, and there's room for more to join. Junior high meets on Wednesday nights and high school meets Sunday evenings at our West Chicago campus. And we would love it if more students would come and join them as they hang out and grow together. Yes, absolutely. So that's all we have for today. Thank you for spending part of your weekend with us. We hope you have a great week. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see all of you here. We wanna welcome you that are watching online. It's good to have you as well. I have some exciting news uh, for our church family. Over the last several months, there have been families that have been coming forward and they have been wanting to make a commitment to Wheaton Bible Church to call this their church home. And so they have been coming and they have gone through our membership process here and they have committed themselves to our mission of seeing more and more people come to love God, grow together, and reach the world. And so uh, as we talk about this, there's actually five things that these people, these individuals have committed to, and I want to read those to you. They've agreed with the Wheaton Bible Church Constitution, uh, including its statement of doctrine and faith, the statement of Christian lifestyle, and the covenant of membership. 
They've agreed to walk by God's Spirit in holiness and love by submitting to the Lordship of Christ. They've agreed to participate in the worship and work of the church by praying for it faithfully, supporting it financially, attending regularly, and serving with their spiritual gifts. They've agreed to support the church in a spirit of love and community by offering forgiveness to those who injure them, refusing to gossip and supporting the leadership of the church. And lastly, they've agreed to pursue the mission that God has given Wheaton Bible Church, that we exist so that more and more people will love God, grow together, and reach the world. So let's give these folks a warm welcome. Yeah. Now, if you're sitting here or you're watching online and you're like, I want to be a part of this, I want to do that, you can get involved by going to wheatonbible.org slash growth track, and that will start your process of becoming a member here at Wheaton Bible Church, and we would love to have you. So let's worship together this morning as a church family. Amen? Let's stand together and sing and worship the Lord. Give to our God immortal praise, mercy and truth are all his ways. Psalm 107. Everyone, 
Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story, those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. Those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. together some of the lyrics from the song we're about to sing our great savior let's read jesus you are a friend for sinners thank you for loving my soul 
You are a strength in weakness. Let me hide myself in you. You are a help in sorrow, even while the storm rages around me. You are a guide and keeper. You always hear my cry. Jesus, we receive you. With you, our cup overflows. us to the end. 
This morning, we celebrate that Jesus is a friend for sinners, a strength in weakness, and a help in sorrow. How is Jesus our friend when we sin? A strength when we are weak, and a help when we are sorrowful. Let's take a moment to let God speak to each of us about how he is that friend and that strength and that help in the moments here. Just silently be able to reflect. Amen, let it be. We desire that our Sunday services would continue to encourage all of us throughout the whole week, and whether it's through the message or one of the songs, a truth from there. This week, we hope that you will take home this truth among others, that he is a friend of sinners, a strength in weakness, and a help in sorrow. It's worth saying again, he is a friend of sinners, each of us. He's a strength in our weakness, and he's a help and our sorrow. Let's stand and sing about the love that drives him to be all those things. So let's stand together. Here is love, as as the ocean, loving kindness as a flood. When the prince of life are ransom, shed for us his precious Love as as the heavens, 
Would you join me as we pray? Father God, as we come together to worship you this morning, we are reminded of what we just sang, of your vast love, of your kindness that flows over us. May we never cease to sing your praise. May we never forget your wonderful, loving sacrifice. May we never forget that you have redeemed us. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your your peace that passes all understanding. Thank you for your perfect justice, which you have extended to us in all our brokenness and sin. Jesus, we confess we so easily wander away from you. Help us to move towards you this morning. Help us to put you as first place in our lives. Would you draw us to you, Lord Jesus, to your heart? For those that are here that are sitting in the struggle, for those that have experienced deep loss, maybe difficulty in relationships, maybe a longing in their hearts that has not yet been fulfilled. Lord, would you fill them this morning with a sense of your presence, of your steadfast love, and your deep care? Would you help us to rest in you, rest in your strength, rest in your wisdom, and rest in your provision? And Holy Spirit, would you fill this place would you open our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us this morning? And we pray this in your most precious name. Amen. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down on the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. 
I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you have shown earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured it into six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told him everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait my daughter until you find out what happens for the man will not rest today until the matter is settled. This is God's word. Well, good morning, church. As, uh, as we gather here today, it is just so good to be worshiping with you. My name's Phil Shields. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And I want to just, again, welcome you. If, uh, if this is your first time here, welcome. If you're online with us, welcome. I hope you find Wheaton Bible Church to be a place full of messy, imperfect people who are pursuing God's will and desire to live for Him. And, and so we want to take that journey with you. Well, we have been in a series in the Old Testament book of Ruth. And the title of this series is uh, The Story of a Loving Life. And if you haven't been here for the past couple weeks, uh, I don't know where you've been, but you should have been here. Because this has been great going through these chapters in Ruth. But I want to give you a little bit of background if you're new to this and, then, and catch you up and then we'll dive into our text. But the book of Ruth is set during the same time as the book of Judges. And what you end up finding is that the nation of Israel is going through a lot of changes spiritually and morally, and they're, they're going through all of this, and, and they're in many ways walking away from God. And so you find the book of Judges, and then you have the book of Ruth kind of running in parallel. And in Judges 21-25, it ends up saying this, in those days Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. And so there was chaos in the land, because everyone was doing whatever they pleased. And so the culture that was happening back then uh, is kind of repeated year after year after year to today. Everyone seems to do whatever they see fit. And so then you end up finding this book of Ruth running at the same time. 
And so whenever you look at this, then we got to start with Ruth 1. And in Ruth 1, you end up finding this woman, Naomi, and her husband, Elimelech. They end up leaving Judah, and they go to Moab because there's a great famine in the land. They end up taking their two sons, and while they're in Moab, their two sons end up marrying two Moabite women. Now, the reason this is a big deal is because of how the Moabites actually started, how their kind of clan, their their nation rose up. And if you want, you can go back to the book of Genesis, and in Genesis 19, verses 30 through 38, you end up seeing how the Moabites start, and they start out of tremendous sexual immorality. And so for Israel to be kind of associated with Moabites, it's, it's a difficult thing. These are, are kind of enemies. They look down upon the Moabites. But this is where Naomi and Elimelech go. While there, Elimelech dies, as well as his two sons. And so now Naomi is a widow with two daughter-in-laws that are also widows. And so she ends up hearing that God has provided for his people back in Judah. And so she decides to start going back and she tells her daughter-in-laws, you don't have to go with me. And so one of them returns to Moab. And then there's this beautiful, beautiful, noble woman named Ruth that stays with her. And she ends up traveling with Naomi. And, And Ruth ends up telling her this, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. So it's this beautiful statement of commitment. And so Ruth is now the foreigner in a foreign land. And so when they get back, Naomi, they're entering the city gates and Naomi's friends or other people are talking to her and she ends up revealing that she is a very bitter woman and she ends up telling them, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Now here's the thing. Empty, emptiness is a key, key word in this entire book because it's it's this place where many of us experience emptiness throughout our life. And what we find is that the emptiness that we see in Ruth will eventually be filled by God's grace. And so if you're sitting here this morning and you're feeling empty, I got to tell you, whatever you're chasing is the wrong place because the only place to be filled is with God's grace. So that's Ruth 1, and then in Ruth 2, we get a clearer picture of what's happening and the two problems. And the two problems for these two women, Naomi and Ruth, is that they need food and they need family. And in Ruth 2, we end up seeing that what happens is that that the food comes because Ruth starts going out to this field. And she starts uh, gleaning the grain from the field, and it just so happened that this, this field belonged to a guy named Boaz. And it just so happened that Boaz show up, showed up when Ruth was there and they meet. And then Boaz gives Ruth all of this grain and this food, this bounty of food, and she goes back to Naomi. And when Naomi says, how did this happen? She says, it came from Boaz. And Naomi, who was bitter in chapter one, all of a sudden, there's hope. Because she realizes that Boaz is a member of the the clan, her family clan. And so she tells Ruth, stay close to the women 
that are working for Boaz because in those fields you will be safe. If you go somewhere else, you might be harmed. Boaz is a man of character and safety. And so we get to that place and then we end up at Ruth 3. And Ruth 3 takes an incredibly weird, crazy turn in this love story. And so what happens then is that there's this incredible place that we end up seeing redeeming love. So as we leave here, I want you to leave with this this idea and this, this thought that as you go into the world and you think about what's going on, that you remember this, that when your circumstances lead you to emptiness, it's the redeeming Love of God that will fill you. No matter where you're at, it's the redeeming love of God that will fill you. Now we're going to see that in three ways. And we're going to see what redeeming love does. So first, we're going to see that redeeming love plans, and we're going to see that with Naomi. Then we're going to see that redeeming love risks, and that's with Ruth. And then redeeming love fills, and that's with Boaz. So, Let's seek redeeming love in this chapter, okay? Amen? All right. So let's go to redeeming love plans. Now, if you have your copy of the scriptures, make sure they're open because we're going to be going to a lot of verses and we're going to start in Ruth uh, chapter 3, verse 1. And it says this. It says, One day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. So let's remember, the book of Ruth was written in Hebrew. That's the original text. And and whenever we look at this, we have to understand several things that go into it. This phrase, my daughter, is actually one word in the book of Hebrew. And so that one word actually ends up putting a lot of uh, emotion and a lot of, uh, expresses a lot of love in that term. And so Naomi is calling her my daughter because she is deeply loving Ruth during this time. It's a highly, highly affectionate phrase. And so when we see it, we kind of, in our English, we kind of pass over it. But this is, this is uh, Naomi saying, I love you deeply. But then she ends up saying, I must find a home. The word home in Hebrew is translated Manoah. And Manoah has incredible meaning because Manoah refers to a place of security and rest. So what Naomi is saying is she's saying, I must find a place of security and rest for you. Now notice she's saying this For Ruth, she is loving her, not even thinking about her own needs. She is thinking of the needs of Ruth. She's being incredibly affectionate here. Now, the reason Naomi is doing this is because she's seeking the security, because let's face it, eventually Naomi is going to die, and Ruth will probably still be alive, and she will now be a widow in a foreign land. She will be a Moabite that will be looked down upon. And so she is concerned about this. But let's also not pass by something too quickly. Let's remember the relationship here. This is a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law whose husbands have passed away. And now Naomi, in incredibly deep love, 
is wanting to seek a husband for the woman that at one point was married to her son. This has got to be an incredibly hard situation. She knows the love that was there before, and now she, in deep love, is going to redeem. She's going to bring this redeeming love in by planning. She's making a plan here. So what you have to understand is that whenever we look at this, we said that emptiness plays a big role. And I don't know about you, but emptiness does a lot of things to us as humans. Emptiness brings in about uh, a lot of stress and hopelessness, a lot of mourning and frustration, and uncertainty can run crazy in your mind. And so there's this, this sense where it just it falls upon you and there is a deep, deep aspect that it impacts not just your inner soul, but it impacts you physically. People can see it on the outside. And I would imagine that that emptiness is really running wild with Naomi and Ruth during this time. It can be depicted physically. So look at Ruth 3.3. Naomi ends up saying, wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. Now, whenever we see this, we have to ask, why would Naomi be saying this to Ruth? And it's not because she is a filthy woman. She's not a teenager that she has to say, you got to go shower. That's not what's happening here. See, what we end up understanding with this text is that Ruth has been in this place of mourning, and because emptiness comes in, sometimes that emptiness can become an identity that we actually live out. And what has to happen is there needs to be a transformation and change that takes place. And so Naomi ends up saying, Ruth, you need to go do this. And the reason is because widows would often put on clothes that would reflect mourning. So wherever she would walk through the town, people would know that she is a widow in mourning. She's giving off that message. In fact, we see this take place in 2 Samuel. In the book of 2 Samuel, uh, chapter 12, verse 20, what we find is we find King David there. And King David is mourning the death of his child. And he's in deep mourning. And all of a sudden, at this one time, it says that David ends up getting up. He ends up washing. He puts on lotions. He changes his clothes. And then he went and worshipped, and the last thing he does is he goes and eats. And all the people around David are looking at him, and what David is doing is he's making a statement that his time of mourning was over. Now look at what Naomi's saying to do. Naomi's saying, Ruth, it's time for you to let people know that your time of mourning is done. Signal that you are returning to normal activities. Signal that, that your time for your desires in life can come. And so transformational action is happening here. And it's because redeeming love plans. She needed her mother-in-law to tell her this. 
So then what we see is that Ruth, or Naomi ends up telling Ruth more of her plan. Look at the verses there. It ends up uh, verses 4 and 5. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. And notice what Ruth says. I will do whatever you say. Now this is uh, an amazing, amazing time. So let's remember that in chapter 2, Ruth has been with Boaz in the field. She's, she's been around him. They've met. They've interacted with one another. And up until this point, Ruth has never presented herself as eligible to him. She's been a woman in mourning. And now Naomi's saying, go and announce it. So look at what happens. Boaz has been in the fields, he's been working all day, and, and at the end of the day, Naomi feels like it's really important to tell her that she needs to wait until he has had food and he has drank. Why is that? Why is that taking place? Well, first, we have to understand that whenever this is stated here, it does not mean that Boaz is going and getting drunk. That's not what he's doing. He's worked really hard, and at the end of the day, he needs some food and he needs something to drink. So why would Naomi tell tell her that? And it's simply this, because men are simple. That's it. At the end of the day, he has worked really hard, and food and drink make him comfortable. And so at the end of the day, he goes and he eats and he drinks, and this, this brings comfort. But what Naomi is doing is making a, a redeeming love plan that says, wait until the most opportune time. Let's make sure that Boaz is in the best mood possible before you announce that you are eligible. I mean, that's, that's something that she just needed to state. But then look at what she says. Note the place. Note the place he goes to sleep. The reason for this is because there would be other men that would be present that had been working out in the fields and and working during this time. And what is happening is Ruth is sneaking around in the dark. Remember, there's no lights. I mean, it's not like there's electricity and lights around, but she is sneaking around in the dark and she's, she's moving around. And for this plan to go right, if she is going to do what Naomi is saying, she better go to the right guy. (laughs) I mean, think about it for a second. This is what is taking place. It's dark. There's people that are, are walking around, and she has got to go to the right guy. Now, this is important. Remember Judges 21, 25? Everything was doing what they, everybody was doing what they saw fit, okay? What was right in their own eyes. And so the men would end working, and at night, when darkness would fall, prostitutes would go out to the fields and start to tempt the men to make some money. And so what ended up happening is the fields and the threshing floor and all of that was a place where a lot of sexual immorality was taking place. See, by all appearances, Ruth is moving around the way that the prostitutes are. (laughs) 
going out there at night. This entire chapter runs from sundown to sunup. It's all in dark. And so she's going out, and Naomi's saying, make sure that you go and you need to be careful that you don't go to the wrong guy because you go to the wrong legs, you're going to be taken advantage of. Folks, this is a crazy, crazy plan. It's an incredibly crazy plan, but it's based on redemption. And so what does she do? She, she says, uncover his feet. And this seems really strange to us, but Naomi is saying this for several reasons. But apparently, this is a nonverbal customary means of requesting marriage in their culture. So she is uncovering the feet. But because of the time of day, this is a very seductive behavior type thing. So this is, this is happening and, and this is taking place, but what we have to understand is that the character of Boaz and of Ruth are, is going to uh, come out and, Ru- and Naomi knows that she has a daughter-in-law that has actually said, your God will be my God, and she is living that out. Let's be honest. Ruth, through this entire book, looks more Israelite than Moabite. And so she is planning on this. And then last in this section, Ruth ends up answering, I will do whatever you say. Now let's remember, this plan could go terribly, terribly wrong. Boaz could wake up and mock her, mock her request. She's a Moabite going to an Israelite. That's not supposed to happen. Another man could find her sneaking around and take advantage of her. She, this is what's really fascinating, is that she hadn't secured a marriage contract. So by the legal terms, Boaz could wake up and he could actually charge her with being an adulteress. So she is going out, and and all of this plan could go terribly wrong, but Ruth is showing this incredibly radical commitment and love for Naomi and saying, I will do whatever you say. In fact, this statement here is actually making it stronger than what she said in Ruth 1. She is taking her love for Naomi and going another place, taking it higher. Now, before we move on, I want to... Uh, spend some time because we have to understand that not only does redeeming love plan the way that Naomi was, but we have to see a couple uh, things that's taking place is that Naomi is not somebody that is dumb. Naomi is using wisdom. And the reason that's important is because without wisdom, Naomi and Ruth's situation would stay the same. Without wisdom, Naomi and Ruth's story would be frozen in place. But what Naomi does is Naomi is living out wise love because she serves a God who doesn't keep their stories frozen. She serves a God that's all about redemption. And so she's... Uh, communicating to us today saying believers are not to wait passively for events just to happen. God is going to put opportunities in place even when it seems like you are empty and you are to grasp a hold of, of them and move forward. 
You are to take steps of faith because God is a God that's going to present redeeming love opportunities. And so if you're here today and you're feeling empty and you're feeling like your story is frozen, I'm here to tell you that God is going to put opportunities in your life and you have to seize them and take those steps of faith. You have to plan a righteous plan the way that Naomi is. It's a beautiful thing to see what is happening. And so these two women, they've committed themselves to one another. And what we see through this is that they are always looking for the best interest of the other person. It's actually an incredible love story between a mother-in-law and daughter-in-law. But then I want you to hear another thing that's taking place. I want to give you a Hebrew word as we move into this, because we've actually seen this Hebrew word in Ruth 1 and 2, and we're going to see it in, in Ruth 3, but it's the word hesed. Hesed is a unique Hebrew word. It's actually this word that uh, combines uh, many, many aspects of love into one, and, and we don't have that in our English language. And so this word has said come, and what has said does is has said acts on commitments for love, and then feelings tend to follow. Now that's not the way that our society works. Our society says with love that feelings come first, and then maybe commitments will come next. But what we see in Scripture and what we see in Ruth is that has said is totally different. So Hesed takes the, this aspect of love, loyalty, faithfulness, grace, mercy, and compassion and takes all of those and puts it into one word called Hesed. Hesed, love. And so I want you to know that word because we're going to get to it uh, here in just a couple minutes. But what we're going to see is that this is an important thing for understanding the incredible redeeming love of God. Now, the text moves on, and as it moves on, you, maybe you've had this where when you were growing up, your parents would tell you that uh, nothing good ever happens after midnight. I mean, I had that. I didn't agree with them, but then I became a parent. It's changing, but you know, nothing good ever happens after dark, and yet, what is Naomi doing? She's sending Ruth out into the dark. And so then we end up having to see that redeeming love risks. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7 of, of chapter 3. It says this, When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and laid down. So last week, Pastor Hannibal walked us through a section in Ruth 2 where he kept uh, focusing on the phrase, just so happened. So he was talking about this and, and that it just so happened that Ruth went to that field. It just so happened that Boaz showed up. Well, here we see that the author is being really suggestive in their language and describing some things. And so he, Boaz just so happened to go to the far end of the grain pile. Now, this is really important. And the reason it's important is because it's making him look that he went away from all the other people so that it was safer for Ruth to approach. Just so happened he did that. Who knows if he slept there the night before? 
But he just so happens to go and, and to be there. And so Naomi has sent Ruth. And Ruth is now has been doing exactly what Naomi has told her to do until now. All of a sudden, she splits from the plan. So we see in verse 8 that Boaz ends up waking up and he's startled. I don't know what it's been like for you, but uh, over the last couple of weeks, it's been getting colder, obviously. And at night, uh, we had been sleeping with a window open, and so it was getting colder. I had fallen asleep, and for some reason, I started to wake up. And I was slowly waking up, and as I was laying on my side, facing the window, my eyes start to open, and all of a sudden, I see these eyes staring back at me. And I jump. I have a dog named Kona. Kona is a boxer. She's a medium-sized boxer. My wife doesn't like large dogs, but she's not a large dog. She's a medium-sized dog. (laughs) Kona was sitting, watching me sleep, just staring at me, and I jumped. And as soon as I jumped, all of a sudden, Kona gets up, and she starts to creep into the bed to get under the covers because she's cold. And she's coming to my side because she knows you don't do that with mom. (laughs) It freaked me out. Now look at what's happening here. I was startled. I, I started to push her away, that sort of thing. Boaz is startled. And he opens his eyes, he slowly opens his eyes, and he sees the eyes of a woman staring back at him. And look at what he says. He says, who are you? And Ruth answers, I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Man, that is a deep statement to be woken up to. Can you imagine his mind and and what is running through his mind? Like, wait, what? I said, who are you? Why are we talking about this? But notice how how this happens. Ruth ends up saying, I am your servant, Ruth. Now, this is the same word that was mentioned back in chapter 2, verse 13. But in chapter 2, verse 13, whenever Boaz is asking who she is, she ends up saying, I am your servant. But the word there for servant, it, it has this definition of that she was a slave. She was the lowest run of the ladder. She, she was the lowest of the low people. And so she describes herself that way in chapter 2. Now, in chapter 3, she uses the same word, but the word here is actually defined uh, in this way that she is a servant who actually has a relationship. And so what she is saying to Boaz is, I am your servant and I am open for a relationship. This is crazy, so she tells him uh, all this, and, and from this, Boaz is going, wait, what? Now notice, Naomi never told her to say this. This is now Ruth being led to do it. And she doesn't wait for a reaction from Boaz. She continues to talk. And she ends up saying, spread the corner of your garment over me. Now this is a phrase that is bold and forward. 
She's saying, I'm open for relationship, and I want you to pursue me in marriage. See, redeeming love risks. She's putting herself out there. Women don't do this in the Hebrew culture. They don't do this. This isn't like Sadie Hawkins Hebrew style. This is totally breaking the rules. And it's risky because the the word garment here is actually the same word that's used in chapter 2, verse 12. Look at what what is said there. In chapter 2, verse 12, Boaz ends up saying this to Ruth. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So the word wings and the word garment are the same in the Hebrew language. And so she's saying, cover cover me with your garment. So what she ends up saying is, Boaz, that prayer that you prayed over me in chapter two of our book, well, you are to be the answer to that prayer. Man, how many times has your wife told you she is the answer to the prayer? (laughs) She is saying, Boaz, you are to be the answer to the prayer you prayed. God put you in this place to redeem. And not only that, this is a Moabite woman saying this. Saying, would you do this? And Boaz could have sent her away. This is totally, totally risky. Let me remind you, when your circumstances lead to emptiness, it's the redeeming love of God that will fill you. Ruth is looking for that. See, Hesed is being put into play as, as Ruth, she is, she's making a commitment to Boaz without any knowledge if he would love back in the same way. I mean, she's saying that I believe you're the one that God provided for me, and she's providing this Hesed love to him. And the Hesed love that Boaz is to give back is in the form that God is conveying to Ruth that he loves her. And Boaz is going to be the instrument of showing that. Now this is an incredible, incredible, risky thing that's taking place, but taking place, but redeeming love risks. So redeeming love plans and redeeming love risks. And then we have to understand that redeeming love fills. It completely fills. Now, Boaz has woken up, and he's probably responding from an incredible place of surprise. He's, he's shocked. And why? It's because he's older. Ruth is younger. He never thought that this would take place. I mean, he had seen the character of Ruth, and he has, seems to be really fond of her, but now Ruth has come, and she's having the DTR the define the relationship conversation in the middle of the night. And this has gone to an entirely new level. He had no idea. And notice how Boaz responds. Look at verses 10 and 11. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. 
You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. This is an incredible statement, and so let's break it apart real quick. He ends up using the phrase, my daughter. We've heard that before. We've heard it before. And so when we, when we see this, we, we see that Boaz starts using this term that Naomi used at the beginning of the chapter with Ruth, and now he is sharing that he respects and he has a sense of obligation for Ruth and that his love for her is deep, and so he addresses her as my daughter, as I love you. He could have dismissed her, but instead he immediately brings peace by using this phrase. He goes on then, and he he ends up using this word kindness. And he ends up saying, this kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. Now here's the beauty of it. The word kindness here in the Hebrew is the word hesed. He's saying, this hesed is, is, is much more than before. And so what's he referring? He's saying the Hesed love that you've had for Naomi was incredible, but now the Hesed love that you are declaring to me, it's overwhelming. He's saying this is unbelievable. This Hesed love is, is beautiful. And so Ruth's bold actions of righteousness start inspiring Boaz to love and to heap praise on her. And he then says in verse 11, he ends up telling her, do not be afraid. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Catch that phrase, do not be afraid. That's an incredible, incredible phrase because we see it throughout Scripture that whenever God comes, he tells his people, do not be afraid. Whenever he sent, God sends his messengers, they say, do not be afraid. And now Boaz is saying, do not be afraid because the next message is going to fill you. The redeeming love fills you and your emptiness. And so Boaz is offering said love back. Now here's uh, something I just want to take you to is uh, in the Hebrew Bible, they don't, scholars don't know how they entirely chose how to place the books of the Bible in order. But what we find in the Hebrew Bible is that Proverbs is there and then the book that follows Proverbs is Ruth. Now this is fascinating. The last chapter of Proverbs, we see Proverbs 31 And there's this section, the last verses of Proverbs are talking about the noble wife. A wife of noble character. Now look at Proverbs 31.10. It says this, a wife of noble character, who can find? She's worth far more than rubies. So we see this. Verse 10 in Proverbs is the same exact language to describe Ruth in Ruth 3.11. I mean, look at what Boaz says. Noble character. Then, in Proverbs 31, 31, we end up up reading this. Honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Same language used in describing Ruth whenever Boaz says, all the town know about your noble character and your work. 
See, we have the book of Proverbs that says this is what a noble wife looks like. And then we have the book of Ruth that says, well, this is how it's lived out. It's lived out by somebody who has experienced the Hesed love of God and ends up putting the Hesed love of God onto others. And what we find in the last section of Ruth 3 is that Boaz ends up saying, I will do this. But here's the thing, and we're going to find it out next week. He says, but there's another that's closer in relationship. So there's another guy that actually has legal rights to choose whether he's going to marry her. And Boaz, who's probably all giddy at this point, is going, okay, I'm a man of character. I'm going to follow the way that things go legally, which means he could lose her. But he's going to do what's right. But he says, if that person does not redeem you, I will. He's saying, I will fill. I will fill the emptiness. Folks, when it seems that God is the furthest from us, it just might be that he is setting the stage for his greatest faithfulness to come through. He might want to take his greatest act of faithfulness in the emptiness that you are in right now. Now, the beautiful thing of all this is that when we look at this redeeming love, we might be saying, well, what does the book of Ruth have to do with us? And what it has to do with is it's pointing us back to the said love of God, the redeeming love of God. Because we have to understand that when redeeming love plans, it means that from the moment that sin entered the world, God started a plan to rescue you from your sin, to reunite you with him. And so he redeemed and he put that plan in place. He was saying that redeeming love is risky. And the reason it's risky is because he was going to send his son to this earth to die, to cover your sins. And the way that that takes place is he's going to fill you with his son and his spirit so that you are reunited and you are free from the wrath that God has to take because he cannot accept sin. The book of Ruth is pointing us to the gospel. The incredible has said love of the gospel. And so may you remember as you lead today that when your circumstances lead to emptiness, it's the redeeming, the beautifully redeeming love of God that will fill you and nothing else. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for how you have set this book in place for us to look at and to, to see not what people are doing, but how you are at work in the midst of emptiness to remind us that you are all about redemption. And so I pray, Father, that you would help us to see that. And if there are people here this morning that are feeling incredibly empty, I pray that they would search in no other place, but they would seek out your redeeming love, that, that this story would be an encouragement, that even though it might seem you are distant, you want to work. And so I pray that that would take place. And Lord, if there are those here that don't know you, that have never been in a relationship with you, I pray that they would be overwhelmed with your said love for them.
and they would surrender their life to you. And so we love you, Lord. We give you the glory for what you have done. It's your name I pray, amen. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Let's stand and respond to God's word. thank you for how you have continued to give to the church financially so that we can continue to pursue our mission here. 
want to encourage you that if, uh, if you are leave, you're here and on your way out, you can drop your offering there or you can go online and you can go to wheatonbible.org slash give and you can do that, continue uh, to do that as we move towards the end of this year. Also want to tell you at your seats or on the screen right now, there's a QR code. If you scan that, you can submit your prayer request. We would love to be praying for you. Every Tuesday we gather as a staff and it's a beautiful time of praying for you, our church family. And then next week, I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles, if you did, if you forgot it today, okay? Next week, bring your Bibles so that we can spend, we're going to spend a little extra time going through the book of Ruth and reading that, and we would love for you to have that with you. Now, I want to pray this prayer over you as we leave today. It's a prayer that Paul prays in the book of Ephesians so that we could remember the redeeming love of God. It's this, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen. Wheaton Bible Church, you are sent to be redeemed. Have a great week.